Good, good to be together. I just want to echo what, uh, what Jamie was saying, how wonderful it was this morning just to be in the presence of God and hear him speaking to us of his love and his father heart. Um, and, uh, and I loved what, uh, well, that word that Alan brought about there's not one sin he hasn't forgiven. And uh, actually this is something that is sort of echoed in, in what I want to say this morning. Um, and... Uh, and it sort of comes out, really, in, uh, in what John, the, uh, the book of John, or 1 John, um, and his letters, what he was trying to get across to his hearers is about the, the overwhelming, amazing love of the Father and how that overcomes everything in our lives and how his love is what should surround us and, and delight us and equip us in everything that we do. And... It's not, not surprising, when we give ourselves in worship, God responds. He doesn't just want to hear our praises, and it's great that we do that, it's right that we do that, but what he, <clears throat> he can't help but respond with surrounding us through the Holy Spirit with his love and his affection and his presence. And that's what he wants for us. He doesn't want us to be uh, alone. He wants us to experience that, as Jamie was saying, he wants to experience that for ourselves. And, uh, and, the, and the, the, the letters of John sort of talk about that quite a lot. And we're going to just look at one little bit of it. And if you've got your Bibles, it's um, in 1 John, and it's chapter 2, and we're just going to look at verses 1 and 2. <coughs> so I'm just going to read those out. 1 John, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. <coughs> now, what I want to focus on today is that whole, that, that word that, that um, John describes Jesus as, as an advocate. And it's quite a difficult word to translate. Excuse me, I've um, <coughs> got a bit of a uh, frog in my throat. Mm. <coughs> well, um, <coughs> if I stop, I, I haven't got a cold. I'll just explain that I, um, I did some gardening very bad for me doing gardening and what happens is I get a little bit wheezy because of the pollen and stuff um, so uh, <coughs> that, this is just a plea really to my wife that I shouldn't really do gardening again <laughs> anyway um, let's not worry about that <coughs> so where was it yes Jesus our advocate now that word um, that's used is, is a little bit difficult to um, translate the, the, the word in, in Greek is parakletos which is also applied to the Holy Spirit and um, has different types of, or different ways of being interpreted. Um, it's translated helper or comforter, companion, counsellor. But actually the way it's used in this uh, verse is a bit unique. And actually they, um, uh, the, the writers have looked into to this, and, and all of the, the scholars have looked into this and said, the best interpretation is one who stands alongside. One who stands alongside, or one who stands in our place. And, 
And so here we have, uh, and, and this is what the word advocate means. It's someone mm. who stands with us and is for us. Amen. And, uh, and this was the, what the, 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 the scholars really believed John was trying to uh, get across in this word. Um, and it's a person who defends our cause. Now, um, there are examples in history of people who have been advocates for various things. Uh, an example would be William Wilberforce and John Newton. They were advocates for the abolition of slavery. And uh, through a lot of hard campaigning and, uh, and um, personal um, problems and, and, and kickback from people, they campaigned for slavery to be abolished. And of course, uh, and, and the, their campaign was ultimately successful. But it's a bit more than that because um, the, the, the campaign for <coughs> getting rid of slavery was <coughs> representing people who had no voice, hmm. but actually their cause was just. Slavery is wrong, and therefore uh, the people, although they didn't have a voice, they were on the side of right. Here, we are talking about, it's more like a court. Um, and, and one of the examples could be an advocacy in court, is that <clears throat> you've been found, or you're up in court on trial, and an advocate stands up and argues your case for why you should not be punished, or you should not be found guilty. And so that's another picture. And actually that's in one sense a little, little more accurate because, <clears throat> because it's actually, um, Jesus is the advocate for someone who has actually done something wrong. And, and so it's not, it's not like, like, like the ones uh, that I uh, talked about earlier, William Wilberforce and John Newton. So why do we need an advocate? Now, <coughs> the, the fact is when we come to Christ, we are forgiven. The Bible says that. We are forgiven completely. Um, the old has gone, the new has come. We are given a new nature. And so therefore, <clears throat> we are made right with God. So why do we need an advocate? Well, I've just got an example from my own uh, background about this and, um, and my own childhood. Uh, so um, we, uh, I was at school, uh, not too far from here in, in New Cross. And we used to go um, once a year to the Royal Naval College, which is now Greenwich University. And if you've only been to Greenwich Park or walked around it, that's the sort of very quite posh set of buildings um, that are on the banks of the Thames. And there's a church there that we used to hold, held our yearly prize. I'm not entirely sure what it was. Prize giving, annual service, whatever it was. And, and we used to go there and... Um, and have a service there for our school and whatever. And I'd gone there early um, to do some rehearsals uh, for something. I can't remember what I might have been in the choir, if you can believe that. Um, anyway, so we went there, and we were there early, and we were, we were, we were doing our rehearsals. And anyway, half, uh, halfway through, we had a break, and um, a few of us decided to do a bit of exploring. Um, those old buildings are quite fascinating, and we used to uh, sort of wander around and we went down into the crypt of the church um, there and sort of wandered around into this quite dark room. And we found a cupboard that was empty, and, and uh, it's quite a big, big cupboard. And uh, me and a mate decided to have a bit of a laugh. And, um, and we, uh, we, one of the lads who was with us was a little bit smaller than us. And so we said, oh, let's just, let's just put him in the cupboard. <laughs> now, 
he was he was it wasn't wasn't you know very malicious. We were uh, he was laughing with us, um, uh, and, and then, so we put him in the cabin and shut the door. And it was obviously very dark in there. Uh, and then he uh, he, he thought oh, he'd had enough of this and, and tried to open the door, and he couldn't open it. And uh, and he started getting panicky. He was in the dark, and he said, "I can't breathe, I can't breathe." And we were going, "Oh no!" And we were trying to get this stupid door open. And of course, one of those old covers, and we just we couldn't we couldn't do it. Anyway, he caused such a fuss that one of the teachers came, and uh, and we we knew we knew we were in trouble. We we had done something that was a bit silly, not terrible, but um, actually it was uh, you know um, you know this, this poor lad uh, was was somewhat distressed. And obviously the teacher came and opened the door and I scarpered, um, as, as, as you would. Anyway, the next day I was expecting um, some quite, quite severe punishment, as was the, my, my colleague, my, my friend. And, uh, and I was in trepidation. And I remember speaking to the, the deputy headmaster at the time. And he asked me, he said, were you involved in this incident? It got round the whole school. And I said, yes, I was. And he looked at me really really disappointed and I thought oh goodness and I just felt terrible and I was just waiting for my punishment and when it came I, I was hauled behold the, the head of the house and uh, and he gave out the punishments and my friend got a very severe punishment he was he got a, a, a series of Saturday detentions uh, I got off with one evening detention for half an hour. Now you think, well, how did, that's not fair. Well, I honestly don't know who, who spoke up for me, but somebody behind the scenes spoke up for me, was my advocate at that time. And I don't know who it was, I never found out. But someone spoke up on my behalf and reduced my punishment. Now, it's a small thing, but it, it, it helps me helps just give an idea of what an advocate can do. Someone who stands for you to, uh, on, behalf of your, on behalf of you before someone else. And, uh, and, and, this, you know, and, and you know, that, that, that sort of thing stayed with me, really. Um, and it's it came back as I was looking at this. But the difference here is that I did deserve punishment in that case. And I did deserve... Uh, well, but I, that punishment was reduced. Now, when it comes to what Jesus does, it's a little bit different from that. And, of course, Jesus always goes further than anything that we can do. Because not only does he uh, take away, uh, does he reduce the punishment, he, he removes it completely because of what he has done. But you might say, well, but we know that because that's what he did on the cross. But the fact is, and, and, and John brings this out, he says, my dear children, I write to you so that you will not sin. Amen. So his, his, the, one of the purposes of the, the book of John is to encourage people to live in a way that they don't sin. But then he says, but if anybody does, we have an advocate. And this is the point that John is making, is that when we sin as Christians, we still need an advocate who will stand up for us. Not because we're going uh, we, we, to be no longer saved, but because we need to know that our standing before God doesn't change. And I think we can, we can often feel, and I know I do, that when we get things wrong 
And we can mess up quite badly. It's like going into the headmaster's room and saying, well, they're not going to throw me out of the school. But they are going to say, well, I'm disappointed in you and you just need to keep a low profile. And I don't want to see you again. And I want you to hide in the corner so that I don't see you. Because if I see you, I'm going to get angry. And sometimes we can think of God that way. That we know we're forgiven, but we, when we mess up, we go back to him and we say, Lord, I'm sorry. And, and we feel that Jesus is saying, well, all right, I've paid for your price, but just get out of my sight because I don't really want to see you. And we can have this idea that we're, we're, we're saved, but we're, 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 not, we're not that we're not light, but God is disappointed that he's, he's fed up with us. He, he doesn't want to keep seeing us back in the headmaster's study because we keep doing things wrong. <clears throat> and we can have this idea that <clears throat> when we mess up, we are somehow lesser Christians if I put it away. And we can, we, can, we can compare ourselves with others and say, well, they don't do this sort of stuff. They're so much better Christians than me. And, and, I'm so, you know, and so there's a, there's a pegging, and, and you, we can think, well, Jesus looks down and he sees this person, he says, well, oh, wonderful, you've seen this person, yeah. And then there's another person who's not quite as good, but, you know, and then there's me who's right at the bottom, and I'm just sort of sneaking around, hopefully no one will notice me, because I'm just not, I'm not up to these people's level. And John is saying that's not what God is like. That's not what Jesus is like. An advocate is someone that even when we sin now, jumps to our defence. He jumps to our defence. He stands up for us. Because we still mess up. We still get things wrong. All of us. And, and John in the previous chapter talks about that. He says if anybody says they are without sin, they deceive themselves. None of us in this life will get to the point of not sinning. So if you think you're the bottom of the pile, you can look around and you know every single person here, including me, and that might be difficult for you to believe, get things wrong. We mess up. We do it on a regular basis. If you need to know, you can ask my wife. We mess up significantly. Jamie messes up significantly. And I don't say that because I know everything about him. I just know we're human. We mess up. We Amen. get it wrong. Amen. And so we mustn't ever compare ourselves and say, I'm never going to breach the height of that Christian. Um, and, and there's a levels in Christianity. That's not the case. Because we have an advocate in heaven. Who despite us getting it wrong, and despite us getting it wrong time and again, will leap to our defence. Amen. And we need to know this. I'm going to read out a bit in from this book. Um, so this is a book we've been following, Gentle and Lowly. It says there, We are indeed called to forsake our sins, and no healthy Christian would suggest otherwise. When we choose to sin, we forsake our true identity as children of God. Hallelujah. We invite misery into our lives and we displease our Heavenly Father. Mm. We are called to mature uh, into, into uh, we are called to mature into deep levels of personal holiness as we walk with the Lord, truer consecration and new levels of obedience. But when we don't, when we choose to sin, though we forsake our true identity. Our Saviour does not forsake us. These are the very moments when his heart erupts on our behalf in renewed advocacy in heaven with a resounding defence 
that silences all accusations, astonishing the angels and celebrates the Father's embrace of us in spite of all our messiness. This is what Jesus does for us. We don't deserve it. And when we go back time and again, because we mess up on the same things, he again jumps to our defence. He never gets tired of doing it. He never says, right, that's enough, I'm not doing it again. He will never say that to us. He will never say, right, you've got three more chances. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't work the same way. He doesn't work like we do. He doesn't work like we do. He will always jump to our defence because of who he is, because he is committed to us, because he loves us, and because he's already paid the price. But we need to remember we have this, because what can happen is either we, we go about you know, hiding from God, thinking that he's disappointed with us. This is one problem of not knowing we have an advocate. The other one is, is uh, it's like if we don't have someone to speak up for us, we will try and speak up for ourselves. Amen. We don't like being found out. We don't like having this sense of being guilty and being wrong. And so instead of going to Jesus and saying, well, you're my advocate, you, you plead my cause, what we do is we start arguing for ourselves. And when we do that, the, the arguments are really bad because we simply say we try and justify ourselves. We try and give excuses to why we behaved in the way we did. And we can start getting angry at other people. And we can say, well, if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have done this. And if you hadn't behaved that way, I wouldn't have uh, reacted in the way I did. And therefore, really, it's your fault and not mine. And that's how advocacy for ourselves can often work. We start blaming others. Or we can blame God and say, if, if this circumstance was different, if only I was different, if only this, this arrangement in my job or at home was different, then I wouldn't have behaved this way. And we can start excusing our behaviour and we can start blaming other people and we can blame God for it. And that is what advocacy for ourselves does. Because actually we've got no defence. We can try and argue our point for ourselves. And that doesn't lead us anywhere. And then we have an accuser. See, Satan loves to stir this stuff up. He loves to point the finger. He likes to jab at us. And the, the, the worst time is that when there's an element of truth in it. He's got no uh, scruples. He doesn't mind us feeling really bad when we've done something wrong. He, in fact, he loves it. And what he wants, he wants to drive us away from Jesus. He wants us to drive us away so that he, we feel bad and we feel we can't approach God because of how bad we feel. And it's Satan that will do that. He will jab at us. He will provoke us. And he will provoke us to anger and self-justification. And, I, and I, I can look back at many, many times when I have done that. And I have felt that accusation. And I have defended myself or ran away or wanted to blame others. And one of my, one of my prayers is that I, and one of my prayers for you, is that we would discern the accuser's voice more clearly. Amen. So that we would learn, because that's one of his schemes. The Bible talks about devil's schemes. One of the schemes is to pick up on the little things or pick up on something and drive it home such that we get angry or we run away. And that's the voice of Satan because he wants us to live 
in isolation from God. He wants us to live in isolation from one another. And John is saying you don't need to do that. You don't need to run away. You don't need to anger. You don't need to justify yourself. You don't need to do all this. Because you've got one in heaven who will justify and will argue for you, Amen. for yourself. Amen. Just quoting from the book, I've read this out because I've changed it very slightly just to make it easier to read, but it says, what if we didn't need to defend ourselves, try and convince ourselves, or God, or others, that we aren't that bad? What if someone who knows just how fallen we are, and yet at the same time was able to make a better defence for us than we ever could? What would the result be? We would be free. Free of the need to defend ourselves, to bolster our sense of worth through self-contribution. Free of the need to quietly parade before others our virtues in painful subconscious awareness of our in inferiorities and our weaknesses. We can leave our case to be made by Christ, the righteous one. And that's what he's about. He will make the case for us. We don't need to do it. He will jump to our defence because he loves us and because he died for us and because he will always do that. He will never get fed up with us because that's his role in heaven. And he lives to make, uh, to make intercession. We heard about that, but he lives to uh, be an advocate for us in heaven. He pleads our cause And when he pleads our cause, the accuser has to stand in silence before him. Because there is no better argument than Jesus' blood. The wonderful truth in the courts of this land is that there is a system, and most of you will, will know this, uh, where, where someone stands accused, uh, the prosecution say things first, and they give their case but it's the defence who speaks at the end. It's the defence that is, um, has, in fact, the last word. Uh, and then, obviously, the judge, the judge or the jury make the decision. And John Bunyan put it this way, Satan has the first word, but Christ has the last. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus will always have the last word. Hallelujah. And Satan can accuse all he likes. But we need to remember we have an advocate who will always have the last word for us. But there is one thing that we need to do, if you like, and that is to recognise that he is our advocate. And to do that, we need to exercise the power of confession. We need to recognise that we mess up. And John speaks about this in the previous chapter. He says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so John is saying here, <clears throat> when we mess up, we are not to try and cover it up. We're not to try and hide it. We're not to try and slink away hoping no one spots us. No, no, what we do is we go to the Father and we say, we messed up. We go Amen. to Jesus and say, we've messed up. Amen. We don't go with excuses. We don't say, oh, I did it because of this, that and the other. We don't try and justify ourselves. Mm. We just say, 
I've messed up. Amen. I've got it wrong. I said what I shouldn't have said. I watched what I shouldn't have watched. I spoke in a way I shouldn't have spoke. I acted in a way I shouldn't have acted. I, 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 I've got it wrong. I messed up. And that is all we need to do. Because as soon as we do that, the advocate in heaven says, I've paid for that. Hallelujah. I've sorted that out. Amen. He's justified through my blood. And we no longer have to argue our case. We just need to admit. On the steps course that we've been go a number of us have been going through, and, and uh, um, there is a, a, a week or two ago, there was a time where we uh, made a confession. And uh, each of us that are on the course are working through some area of our lives that have been a challenge to us, or, or we know that we're not living right in them. And, uh, and that was a really powerful time, because what we had to do, and it was quite scary to, to, to an extent, was that we had to write down what we specifically wanted to confess. And then we spoke to somebody over Zoom about it, and we confessed to them. And they were able to uh, bring the forgiveness of God. Now, we, we don't need to confess to others. To that. We're not, we're not going to move to a, a Catholic uh, tradition. Uh, but however, it was actually a really powerful thing to do, to be able to speak out those things that you've got wrong and hear someone say that Jesus forgives us and God forgives us. It's actually a really powerful thing. And I, I, again, I would, uh, those that haven't been on, on, on the course, I would encourage you to consider going on it. It's a really, uh, a really good, uh, helpful tool uh, for us to sort of move on. And actually, there is a part in James, in the book of James, about actually confessing sins to one another. Actually, it can be quite a helpful thing, just as you speak out, uh, and you can actually receive... The, the forgiveness from a person simply because we have authority on the basis of the Bible and the basis of what Jesus has done we can speak forgiveness over people simply because uh, we are standing on the truth of the word of God and, and actually that's a really good thing to do but it's really helpful for us to know that confession is what God calls us to that we you know, all, all he asks us is to admit, not to, not to justify, not to give an excuse, not to try and belittle what we've done or anything like that, just, just admit it. And he then comes, he forgives, he cleanses, and he restores us. And there is no second tier or third tier of Christianity. There's no super saints and, you know, that's just not, not, it's not there. It's not there. Everyone is represented by Jesus and everyone has full standing before the Father because of what Jesus has done. We must never compare ourselves or think we're a lesser Christian. That is not in the Bible. That is not in Jesus' thinking. It's not in God's thinking. The Father loves you as much as he loves anyone else. He wants you to experience that love and to know his forgiveness and restoration. So our response when we sin, whether small or large, is not to minimise our sin by our own defence or excuse it away. We should raise no defence, simply take it to the one who is already at the right hand of the Father, advocating for you on the basis of his own wounds. Let your own unrighteousness, in all your darkness and despair, drive you to Jesus Christ in all his brightness and sufficiency. He will lead, he will plead your cause and stand by your side in your place and wash you completely clean.
What a saviour we have. Let's pray. Yeah, Father, Lord, we just are amazed. We're amazed at you, Jesus. Lord, it's so good to, to sing and worship. And then you come and we experience your love. Lord, we don't deserve any of this. But Lord, thank you that your blood, your sacrifice has paid for everything so that we can be right with you, we can experience your love. And that even when we mess up now, you stand in our defence. You stand up for us. You jump up and you say, I've paid the price for that. They are to be forgiven. They're to be cleansed. They're to be held in right standing with the Father. Lord, I thank you. Lord, and I just pray, God, that we would be those that rush into your presence, that we wouldn't hold on to our our justification of ourselves, Lord, that we would admit before you and that, Father, we would just know that wonderful freedom of your advocacy, that freedom of you standing for us, a freedom of forgiveness, freedom of knowing that we have a right standing with the Father. There is no barrier between us. Thank you, Jesus, our Lord, and that we may experience through this more of your love, more of your great uh, peace and joy in our hearts, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Amen.